Actually, I wanted to play a game. I thought we could play a game at first. Can we do that? What I'm going to do is play what I call the shadow game. And the shadow game goes this. I'm going to hold up something in the shadows, and we're going to see who can guess what it is, okay? Did, can you guys hear me? Okay? All right, okay, cool. Here's the first thing. Oh, that's right. It's a manly drill. There we go. Good job. It's a drill. How do you pronounce that word? DeWalt with a W? Or is it like German? It's DeWalt. I, don't, I never knew. What do you think this is? Hand sanitizer. Hand sanitizer. Yeah, it's, it smells delicious. So I want to make sure everything's okay. What about this right here? What do you think this is? Whoops. Beach ball. Right? Beach ball? Okay. Good, good. You guys are doing good. You guys are way better at this than I thought you would be. What about this right here? What is this? Now, here, quick question. How do you know this is a hammer? How do you know it's not a piece of paper that I cut to look like a hammer? What if it's a piece of wood that I made? What if it's a plastic toy hammer, like my son's plastic toy hammer? Not if you need to use a hammer. You don't, do you? <laughs> I'm breaking the rocks. You see that? Okay. Um, in order to kind of explain to you why I did the shadow game, just to be silly, I want to introduce you to a man named Plato. Plato was a uh, Greek philosopher about 500 years before Christ, and I'd like to introduce you to him here. Imagine prisoners that have spent their entire lives chained deep inside a cave. They have been chained so that they cannot see behind themselves. And they are forced to stare endlessly at the cave wall in front of them. Behind them a fire is burning. And between the prisoners and the fire is a raised walkway. Now imagine that each day, a menagerie of objects crosses the walkway. Animals, and people carrying their wares to market. Their shapes create an intricate shadow play on the wall in front of the prisoners. This is the only world that the prisoners have ever known. shadows and the echoes of unseen objects. Now, imagine that the prisoner is released. After some time adjusting to the blinding light, the freed prisoner will begin to experience the world outside of the cave for the very first time and it is like nothing he could have ever imagined. With his new perception of the world, the man will of course want to return to his friends to share his incredible discoveries. But the prisoners cannot recognize their old friend. He appears as all things do. His voice is a distorted echo, and his body is a grotesque shadow. 
They cannot understand his fantastic stories of the world outside of the cave. To them, it will never exist. This, of course, does not make the world outside of the cave any less real. Okay, so this is a very famous parable or allegory called the Allegory of the Cave. Like I said, it's 500 years before Christ. So it's very, have you heard of it before? Yeah, anyone else heard of it before if you took a philosophy class in college or something? Okay, cool. It's um, very interesting because what he is saying, what Plato is saying is, he builds this argument, if these guys could only see shadows, then if they ever did see the real thing, um, it would be almost impossible to explain to the shadow lovers what, that the shadows are just shadows. And they wouldn't, he, how could you explain to someone who only saw a shadow of a butterfly that a butterfly really has all kinds of colors and it's beautiful and, it, and its wings are so fragile looking and the shadow people say, well, it looks like a black, you know, Jimmy, Jimmy LaFigure to me. You know what I mean? They don't know what it is. And so tonight our text is Colossians chapter two, starting at 16. And the argument that Paul's going to be making here is that we don't need to chase after shadows, but instead we need to chase after the substance of those shadows, which is Christ. He literally says, and the substance is Christ. I'll read the verse for you real quick. Um, it starts off like this. Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. It says, therefore, let, well, before we go any further, I need to stop there and talk about that word, therefore, because... Um, Obviously, when he says that, he means there's an implication to all the things that he's, that he's already said, right? So whatever he said last week, for instance, here at Missio Day, we need to know what that means before he can tell us what he's getting ready to tell us because he's getting ready to say, therefore, if all of that is true, then this is what I want you to hear. And so for those of you who were here last week, I just want to recap. For those of you, it's going to be fun for you. For those of you who weren't here, um, it is going to be even funner. Um, last week, we looked at the section before this. I believe it started at verse 9. And it was about Jesus, who is our victor. Jesus is our champion. And we talked about the cross of Christ. And in this last text, the last, text, last verse of that text, it says that Jesus made a spectacle of his enemies. He, um, he, he nailed our debt to the cross and canceled all of our sin. And he removed the barrier that got between us and God, specifically our enemies. And the enemies we defined as being um, two enemies of the cross, two enemies of the gospel, if you will. Religion, um, which is about rules and following rules and, and, and doing a checklist of things so that you can be saved. Or the opposite um, uh, enemy of the cross is irreligion, or we can call it idolatry. It's worshiping um, the gods of Rome, if you will, the, uh, the, the wealth and the power and the pleasures. And, and Paul tells us that Jesus disarmed both of those enemies. He, he totally disarmed them and he disrobed them and made a public spectacle of them. He wiped the floor with them. He totally, utterly destroyed them. So then we talked about if that's the case, then why is it that we still struggle with those sins? And if, it, and if we do, we decided that it's because we're trying to fight those battles ourselves. And so we learned that you can't white knuckle your own, my, your own morality. You know, you can't try harder and do gooder and be better. That doesn't work. Um, our enemies laugh at us when we say, hey, I'm here to pick a fight with you. Because um, they say, you know, Jesus has already won this fight. You don't, we don't have any weapons. There's no weapon that we can form against you, the Bible says. Why are you fighting with us? And so we decided as a group that what we would do is we would nail our specific sins, those sins that we have been trying to white knuckle, those, those temptations that we've been trying to manhandle or, or try harder at. We were going to remind ourselves that they've already been nailed to the cross, that they've already been eliminated, and we nailed our personal sins to the cross. Hey, I'm just curious. Did that 
work for anybody? Like, did you have a better week since you kind of said, you know, what, I'm going to stop trying to fight this one. I'm going to give it to God. Did, did anyone have a better week? You can raise your hand. Better than normal? No, just me. I had a better week. I, I want you to know that. I did. Stopped manhandling it, gave it to Jesus. It worked. It worked for one week. Let's see if it works again. And so with all of that being said, if Jesus is our victor, if, if there, there's no enemy who can form a, a, a weapon against us, if that's true, Paul then says, therefore, and here's what he wants us to do. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in the questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath, because these are shadows of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And so we've got a very interesting, very interesting passage of scripture tonight. If you've ever read it, it's kind of interesting and it's going to be, well, interesting. I want to break it up into three parts. The the first part I want to break it up into is this. Um, There's going to be people that Paul are going to refer to as judges. The judges want to exclude you because you don't follow their rules and they have a lot of rules. You can't do this. You can't do that. You must do this. You must do that. And if you don't follow their rules, They want to exclude you. And then Paul's going to introduce us to who I want to call the umpires. And the umpires are a little bit different. They want to disqualify you. They're the ones who qualify you for the game, qualify you for the race. And they're going to say, you're not fast enough. You're not big enough to fight this fight or run this race because you're not spiritual enough. So we've got the judges who exclude you, the umpires who disqualify you. And then finally, we're going to meet Jesus. And Jesus is going to raise you to new life and give you a new heart and give you a new destiny. And so, that's what we're gonna where we're gonna go tonight. So the first one is these judges. The judges. He says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in the question of food or drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or Sabbath. And obviously, he's talking about the Jewish dietary laws, right, and customs. So there's over 600 laws in the Jewish Torah that would fall under this category. Under other, over 600 that they had to do. And if they didn't do it, uh, you know, uh, you're out. And special things they couldn't eat. They couldn't eat pig, right? They couldn't eat pork. Can you imagine not eating bacon? You know what I mean? How could you not live? How could you not ever have bacon? I would never become a Jew, right? Ever, am I the only one who loves bacon? Come on, I've had chocolate-covered bacon, bacon wrapped around a steak, bacon, on my back, bacon with an egg, right? I mean, they, oh, so you can't, you, I can't believe they can't have bacon. And they couldn't have a lot of things. There was a lot of different foods they couldn't eat. And then there were certain things they couldn't do on certain days and certain foods they couldn't eat on certain days. And there were certain days they couldn't do anything. And there were certain days they had to do things. And there was all kinds of rules. And Paul says, since our enemy, let's say legalism or let's say religion, has been destroyed by, the, by, by Jesus on the cross... No longer let someone judge you in regards to what you eat or to what you drink or to what holiday you practice or what holiday you don't practice. I'm going to jump ahead to verse 21 because he gets a little feisty. He says, he goes on to say this. They say, those people do not handle, do not taste, and do not touch. And and, and those, those are three things. The first one, handle, is the most is the biggest one, right? It's the most extreme, handling it all over the place. The next one is tasting it. And then the next one is just touching it. He says, because they're referring to things that all perish as they are used, and these are according to human rules and human teachings. Are you guys tracking with what I might be saying here? Can I get a uh uh-huh or what, what? Okay, cool. I'm sure you might be able to experience, you've probably experienced some of these things in your own life. If you've grown up in the church or if you've visited a church, have you ever felt judged? Because maybe you ate something like bacon? No, you never felt judged. Maybe you had a tattoo. Maybe you smelled like smoke. Maybe you wore a miniskirt. 
mean, hopefully you didn't wear a mini skirt. You know what I mean? But maybe you wore a skirt. It was just too small. Paul says something interesting here. He says, don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. When I grew up, there used to be this jingle that some of my friends would sing. We don't drink, we don't chew, we don't go with girls who do. And if you think about it, it's the same thing. We don't handle, we don't taste, we don't associate with anyone who even associates with those things. And Paul gets a little feisty, like I said, he gets sarcastic. And he says, these things are referring to the things that all perish as they are used. Or another way of saying it is, they are destined to perish with use. Or another way of saying it is, if you use it, you will destroy it. In other words, if you eat food, by nature of eating it, you destroy it, right? You put it in your mouth and you chew it up. You swallow it down and it gets inside your intestines and something happens to it and it turns into something unspeakable, right? And then it comes outside of you in some way or form. And then it goes inside of something that you might flush down a drain and then eventually it's destined to be fertilizer. Am I right? Can I get a what, what? Yeah. Now, don't be mad at me. I'm not being crude. I'm just telling you what Paul said, right? I didn't say the P word, okay? Paul says this stuff. In fact, Paul actually is quoting Jesus. Jesus says the same thing in Matthew 15. Um, Jesus is hanging out with his disciples. He's, um, they're getting ready to eat dinner, and um, the disciples dig in. And the Pharisees say, how come your disciples don't wash their hands? And, and this is a little different culture than ours. It's not, you know, they don't have hand sandy in their pocket, you know what I mean? So, so they, um, of course, need to wash their hands. But that's not really what's happening here. They had a custom of washing before this meal. They'd wash their hands like seven times on each side and seven times, and they'd wash the bowl, and they would dry it, and they would pass. It was a big custom. So it wasn't like, hey, your disciples didn't wash their hands. It was, you guys totally bypassed this whole ceremonial section over here and came over here and, gra- and grabbed the hot wings, you know? <laughs> And Jesus says, Jesus says, look, you guys make up stupid rules. I'm paraphrasing, by the way. This is not what Matthew 15 says. You guys make up stupid rules. In fact, your rules are so stupid. You've got God's rules over here, and then you make up a rule that doesn't get you closer to God's rule. It gets you further from God's rule. For instance, he gives an example. You have a rule that you don't have to take care of your elderly parents if you take your money and you take your time and you take your gifts and you give it to the temple. If you give it to the temple, it's called Corbin, and you're free to not give it to your parents. And Jesus says, but God says in the Ten Commandments, honor your father and your mother. So you've created a rule that makes it easy for people not to honor their father and their mother. You guys are stupid. And then Jesus says this, do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and then is expelled? See, Jesus said the same crude thing. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this is what defiles a person. For out of the heart, listen to this. This is scary. Comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, lies, gossip. These are what defile you. It doesn't matter what you eat. It doesn't matter what you drink. It doesn't even matter if germs get inside there. Eventually, they're going to make their way out. What matters is what you say or what you think or what's in your heart that makes you unholy or defiles you. Wow. I wish it was as easy as stop eating bacon and don't drink Merlot. You know what I mean? But it's not that easy. I got a wicked heart. And when I speak, it proves it. So Jesus is saying, stop chasing after these man-made rules that are just shadows that chase you away from the thing. But instead, seek the heart of the matter. Seek the substance of the thing, not the rules but the thing. 
Okay, so next we're going to see um, this. Uh, oh, I wonder, William Barclay, he's a famous um, commentator, scholar. He says, the spirit which makes Christianity into something bound to regulations is not yet dead by any means. Would you agree with that statement? We live in an American Christianity, and I have had some experience where I just feel like, where's the freedom? Where's, why, why are people pushing us to the shadows when Jesus is this way, casting the shadow? I want more of Jesus. I don't want more checklists. I don't want no more do's and no more don'ts. I want Jesus. Let's keep going. I, I got more. I got more. Um, before I get on fire. All right, so then there's the, uh, the umpires. The umpires are just a little different. They don't care if you do the rules or don't do the rules. They don't give you a checklist. They want to know if you're cool enough to be in our team. They're the ones who say, you're not heavy enough to fight in this fight. You're not fast enough to run in this race. You're not qualified. In order for you to be qualified, you've got to be at a certain spiritual level. You've got to have a certain spiritual experience. Listen to what Paul says. Let no one disqualify you. Insisting on asceticism, for those of you who think that's a big word, because it is. Asceticism means um, beating the body, making yourself, you know, sad or, or fasting or wearing uncomfortable clothes they used to wear in the medieval times in order to, to beat your body to control it. So those, of you, those people who insist that you be ascetic or you worship angels, and Paul gives three things that these people do. They go on in detail about visions. They're puffed up without reason by their sensuous mind. And the third thing is they're not holding fast to the head. And the head, of course, is capitalized. It means Jesus, the head of the church, from whom the whole body, the church, is nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from who? God. And so Paul is saying there's these disqualifiers, these umpires who want to say, you're not good enough because you're not having the kind of experiences we have. We have some experiences. And Paul says they, there's three things about these people. The first thing is, is they go on in detail about visions. And what Paul is really saying here in the, in the original language is sounds something like this. They go on and on and on and on about their visions. So Paul's essentially saying, they're not visions, they're fanaticals, they're, they're, they're fantasies. And they go on and on, on about it. Like, there's, like it's, some, it's just a sham, is what Paul is saying in the original here. And then he goes on to say this, and they're puffed up without reason, and that's a parenthetical, by their sensuous mind. So they've got a big head because of their sensuous mind. Now the word sensuous just means this, of or, pertain, or pertaining to the senses. So they're, they got a big head because they've experienced some sort of thing. They have this mind that wants to have experiences. I want to feel God move. I want, to, I want to crawl up the wall and stick to it and see how long the Holy Spirit will hold me there. You know what I mean? I want to roll around on the floor and see what kind of laughter can come out of me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. And Paul says they've got a big head about that. Now, now I need to be careful because I'm not necessarily saying that we shouldn't seek spiritual experiences. But these spiritual experiences make their head big, make them puffed up. Look what I got. Look what happened to me. Did you see how long I was sticking in that wall? It was amazing. And Paul puts this parenthetical there without reason. They have, there's no reason. They got a big head for nothing. It's a sham. It's ridiculous. And then the third thing he says is the harshest of them all. He says they're not holding fast to the head. Well, if you think about that, that means they're not holding fast to Jesus. And if you think about that, these 
disqualifiers are disqualifying you because you don't have their ultra super spiritual experiences. So they're saying, maybe you're not saved. Maybe you're not a real Christian because you don't have these experiences. And Paul's saying, the truth of the matter is they're not real Christians. They're not part of the body that's holding on to the head. They're off in their own little world, getting their own spiritual highs. So don't let them disqualify you. Pretty interesting stuff. N.T. Wright, another famous scholar, says the true test of whether or not one belongs to God's people is neither the observance of dietary laws or Jewish festivals, nor the cultivation of super spiritual experiences, but it's whether one belongs to Christ. Are you alive with Christ and his life? And that leads us to the third thing. The third thing is Jesus, right? We're going to meet Jesus. Jesus doesn't want us to chase the shadows. Jesus wants us to chase the substance. What is the substance? The substance is Christ. Paul says this, if with Christ you die to the elemental spirits of the world, why then, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch? Listen to what he says here. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and the severity of the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgences of the flesh. So Paul's going to point us back to Christ. And he's going to say, if you have died with Christ and resurrected with Christ, and we talked about this last week with the illustration of baptism. And Paul says, we've been baptized with Christ. So we died with him. We were under the grave. We're under the water. And we resurrected with him. We have a new life. We're a new creation. We're a new, we have a new heart. If that's you, then why are you living like you're still dead? Why are you living like you're still under? The word, the word um, submit can literally mean under these regulations, these laws, these legalistic stuff, and this super spiritual stuff that people want to put over your head. Why are you still living that way? Why are you chasing shadows when the substance is over here? If you think about it, if the substance is casting the shadow, the shadow leads you away from the substance. You want to chase the substance. You don't want to look at the list of things that you did and say, look, I did these things. You're just getting further away from the substance. You want to say, I need Jesus, I need Jesus, I need Jesus. You don't want to say, I want, I want to find some ultra super spiritual experience. <sighs> You're away from the substance. You need to find the substance. And Paul says this. I think it's interesting. He says, these things indeed, they do indeed have the appearance of wisdom. Or another way of saying it is, they, they appear to be of good reputation. And oh, do they, right? And if you're one of those people who likes the checklist, right? If you're one of those people who've got some ultra spiritual experiences that you like to puff your head up about, then you're going to be sure to let us know that they do indeed have the, have the image of wisdom, right? Hey, we don't, we don't drink. We don't chew. We don't go with girls with goo, do, cause with goo either, right? Because we're, we're, <laughs> we're holy and we got these ultra spiritual experiences. And you want to be like us, right? But Paul says, they have no value in stopping the flesh. Did you, did you hear what he said? All of that, whether it be asceticism or legalism, it has no value in stopping the indulgences of the flesh. Can I, can I say this? You know it's true, don't you? Yeah. Can I get an amen? Okay, cool. Thank you. I didn't want to make sure I was not the only one who has a hard time stopping the indulgences of my flesh. 
and I made fast, and I liked fast. You probably can't tell by looking at me, but I like to fast and during, during Advent, during Lent. I, 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 I like it when it's over, you know, and I feel really <laughs> good about what happened. Um, but it really has no value if I'm chasing the shadow and I'm not with Jesus. Um, okay, so here, here's, 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 where, here's where I want to go. I want to, I want to get real about this because you're probably thinking, what is he talking about? Is he talking about blue jeans? <laughs> is he talking about drinking? Is he talk, what is he talking about? Um, I don't know what I'm talking about. It, it, it might be something different for you than it is for me. You, you may have had different experiences where people have judged you and made you feel like you're excluded or people who have disqualified you and made you feel like you're not spiritual enough. What Paul is, and Paul doesn't necessarily name them clearly either. What he's saying is those things are shadows, but Christ is the substance. And I have to be careful. I want you to hear what I'm saying because some of you may be hearing not what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm not saying that there's no rules. I'm not saying, all right, you can eat all the bacon you want because <laughs> you're going to die, all right, if you do that. <laughs> I'm not saying that there's not rules that make us holy, There's no, that we're not supposed to strive towards holiness. Paul doesn't say that either. I'm also not saying you shouldn't seek spiritual experiences because that would be ridiculous. The fact that we died with Christ and resurrected with Christ and that God is the one who causes the growth is a spiritual experience. That's exactly the definition. You can't do it. He does it. Seek him because he's the spiritual experience. So Paul's not saying there is no rules to holiness and Paul's not saying there is no spiritual experiences. He's saying don't let anyone judge you based on their rules about what you should follow and don't let anyone disqualify you if you haven't experienced what they've experienced. Because they're just chasing after rules that you have to check or experiences that you have to experience. And, and if you can chase all those things all you want, and how many of you think you can chase these things and get them but still not know Jesus? Just me? Yeah, absolutely. How many of you think in Christianity in America today, there are a lot of people who figured all this stuff out, right? And they're chasing all these shadows, but they don't know Jesus. Jesus even says, one day we'll get to heaven and I'll say, I never knew you. And I'll say, but I didn't drink, and I didn't chew, and I, and I spoke in tongue once, right? She's saying, yeah, you, 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 I didn't know you. Here's what I think. I think we're so good at playing the church game. I, I'm good at it. I, I think we quickly learn, this is what I'm supposed to say, this is what I'm supposed to act, this is how big my Bible is supposed to be, and if I walk around with this and act this way, and if I don't watch rated R movies, unless it's about Jesus, right? And if, I, and, if I, and if I tell people that I don't drink, and if I tell people that I don't ever get angry or don't ever lust, then everyone's going to think that I'm good, but really I'm just chasing after these shadows when God and Jesus are over here and I'm missing the boat completely. You may say, well, I never did murder nobody. Well, good for you. But every time I see you, I think you're angry. You're chasing the shadows. I didn't murder, but you haven't had a heart change. Well, I never did commit cheating on my wife, you know. Look at you. But I know your heart's full of lust. I see you looking at everything that walks by. I know you. Well, I don't drink beer. I only drink Zinfandel. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, but you eat carbs and cholesterol like they're going out of style. You're, you're not treating your body like a temple. You're chasing after shadows, and you're missing the substance. Who wants some substance? Can I get an amen? amen. No shadows. But we're content, I think, to play the game. We're content to pretend. 
We're content to put on a mask and say, I'm doing good. And, and, and here's what I've learned. In the church in America, I don't know the statistic, and I think I mentioned this last week. I don't care about the statistic. I, I, I'm just going to throw out a statistic, right? 98%. I'm just kidding. The majority, there's a lot of guys and girls struggling with pornography and lust in the church. And there are some churches that have no idea, right, who it is. There's no, there's no system. There's no pastoral care that takes care of those people who need help. Everyone here is good. You know, I mean, they, 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 they come to church and they tithe, so they're good. No, they're not. I'm, I've been in, worked in the church for over 20 years. There's divorce, a lot of it in the church. And, and, and what happens, and I'm not saying that you're evil if you get a divorce, but what happens is the church doesn't even know it's coming because everyone acts like we're happy. We're happy. You know, I'm a, I love my wife. Well, I didn't on the way here because she made us late, but I love her. You know what I mean? And then what happens is you get a divorce and the whole church is like, what the heck happened? We didn't see that coming because we played this game at church. So you can just go ahead and put church if you want to in the shadows and we're missing Christ. We're missing Jesus. So, so I only have one discussion question tonight because I felt like I couldn't ask any discussion question until we got through all of it, right? Because if I ask you, name some of the shadows that you tend to chase, <laughs> you would just say the same old things that I would say, I think, right? Or name some of the ways people have judged you because you didn't chase after their shadows. And you would say the same things that I think, I think I already know what you would say. And in the end, you'd be focused on the shadows and not focused on the substance. And I'm trying to figure out how to focus us on the substance. I don't want us to play games. I want to share with you real quick, our leadership team, the, we call it the turbo team here at Missio Day, we started meeting a year before we um, started launching, was doing our launch services. And, and they got together and they wrote vision and values and mission and all goals, strategy, all that jazz. That's fun stuff, I think. For, I like to do that kind of stuff. I think we wrote about 10 values, and I really do think they're awesome. And a value is like, this is what we find to be a high priority. This is what, this is what we want to put a stake in the ground and say, this is who we want to be. This is who we're going to fight for. I just wanted to share one of them for, with you tonight because it fits the shadows and the substance talk. This, this value is called, it's not a masquerade ball. Because all of us agreed that this was important to us. We agreed that being vulnerable takes courage. And we are real people who believe that being a part of a community is essential to living full life in Christ. We will invest time growing together in an uncommon community. That means the kind of community they don't normally find in the world for some reason. We want an uncommon community where we love each other, we like each other, we know each other. Because we are real people with real lives and real challenges. And we're not perfect. And we're going to live in that reality together. So I want you to know I'm not perfect. And you probably already figured that out. Some of my jokes aren't funny, okay? <laughs> and you're not perfect either. When I was in college, my favorite pastor used to say, look, if, if I knew about you, what God knows about you, I wouldn't let you in here. But if you knew about me and what God knows about me, you wouldn't let me preach. We're not perfect. And so for crying out loud, let's don't pretend. I'm not going. I'm not going to pretend. I'm going to be vulnerable. I'm going to share some of my sins. I'm going to share some of my frustrations. I'm going to let you know when I let my wife down in public because I'm weak. And I think you need to know that I'm weak. <laughs> And I want you to be honest too and tell me, hey, I'm struggling here. Or, hey, Mike, I didn't like it when you said that. You hurt my feelings. Or, or Mike, I, I'm lusting a lot right now and I need accountability. If you can't do it in the church, then go, you can chase shadows, right? You can create checklists and say, I'm going to do better and I'm going to try harder. I'm going to be gooder this week. But Paul says that there's no value in that. It doesn't help you control the indulgences of the flesh. 
Now, I've got a reason why I wanted to talk to you about community, but before we do, I think I had a question. Yeah, I want to hear what you have to say. <laughs> Here's the question. Uh, why do we play these games? Right, because when I said that, I I'm going to tell you what I saw. I saw a lot of nods. We well, we're good at playing the games. And I'm, I'm, I'm confident that you weren't thinking, yeah, they're good at playing those games. You're probably thinking, yeah, I'm good at playing those games. I've, I've, I'm good at it. So why do we do that? Why do we play these games? And if you get that answered real quickly, or if that question isn't good enough, try this one. Why are we so good at wearing masks? <laughs> Maybe it's the same question. And why do we prefer to chase shadows? Why do we prefer to say, oh, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to have my quiet time, I'm going to listen to Christian music, I'm going to, I'm going to tithe 10%, and we chase after these shadows. And why do we do that instead of spend more time with Jesus and get to know Jesus? Another one that I didn't hear out loud, but I'm sure maybe one of you discussed it, that I think is cool, is why do we like the shadows? Because they're easier. Right? I mean, if, if you give me a checklist and say, read your Bible every morning at 6 a.m. and journal about it, um, I could do that, right? And if I do that, then I'm good. Um, or, you know, don't wear blue jeans to church. I can go shopping, right? I, I got a 30% off coupon at Kohl's. I can get some nice pants, right? I can do that, and I'm good. That's, e that's so easy. <laughs> Pursuing Christ and having a changed heart and, 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 and considering what comes out of my mouth and what comes out of my thoughts, that's way harder, but it's way more rewarding, right? If you, if you pursue Jesus, you will have holiness. If you pursue Jesus, you will have ultimate spiritual experiences. But you won't be rude <laughs> and you won't be judgmental. Okay, so why did I bring up this whole thing about community? It wasn't just another plug to plug community, which is one of our mission statements. Um, it's, it's this. And I hope this blows your mind like it polluted mine when I read it, okay? Go back up to this verse we sort of glossed over. Paul, talking about those people who chase shadows, he says, they're not holding fast to the head, which is Christ, from whom the whole body, which is Christ's body, which we would call the church, right? The body of Christ. Listen to what he says. The body of Christ is nourished and knit together through its, that's the bodies, joints and ligaments. So if you just kind of like do play on words with this in your mind, the body of Christ where he's the head, is nourished, meaning it's fed. And it's knit together, meaning we're bonded together. We're held together through our, that is our, us, the church, through our joints and our ligaments, which means the joints and the ligaments hold the thing together so they don't just fall apart. They don't fall off. So the body of Christ is being nourished and being knit together in this community of love and self-respect and, and over-service to one another, as, as Jesus teaches. And then when it has all of that, when it's knit together and it's being nourished and the, the joints and the ligaments are holding it all here, we're here, we're one body, it grows with the growth that is from God. So what I'm saying, and I think what Paul is saying is, if you want, you can chase after shadows, Ironically, in the church is sometimes where those shadows get pinned up on the wall, right? But if you're in a real community where I know you and you know me and, 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 and I love you and you love me, then eventually we're going to experience growth because that growth is going to come from God. Let me tell you why this blew my mind. Because that word body is the word soma in Greek. 
Incidentally, the word that comes from the shadow of things to come and the substance belongs to Christ, the word substance in that verse is the word soma. So, 99.72.78% of the time, the word soma in the Bible is translated body, except for in this verse that we just read because of its context. We read it like this, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. That's what a modern translation would read it because it makes more sense. If you, you might have a different translation that says the reality belongs to Christ. But all translations, translations that didn't really care if it made sense, but they just wanted to woodenly translate it, would say this, like the King James Version, but the body is of Christ. So the same word, substance, the thing that casts the shadow, is the word body. And then, Jesus, and then Paul puts this part in here about it's in the body, in the church where we grow, not in the shadows. So what are you trying to say, Mike? What is that? Is your mind blown yet? No, okay. What scholars will tell you is that Paul is creating a double entendre or a double meaning in what he's saying here. The first, and it's, 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 it's a mag magical way of writing that he does this. He says in the first thing, we need to stop pursuing legalism and stop pursuing sensualism. It's not about all of that. Stop it. It's silly. It's games. It doesn't matter what you eat. You're going to spit it back out anyway, right? It's dumb. Instead, pursue the body, which is Christ. Pursue the body, which is Christ. It's all about Jesus. Don't eat. Don't worry about eating bacon. Eat you some bread of life. Can I get an amen? amen. Don't worry about drinking wine. Drink you some living water. Don't worry about chasing shadows or naming the shadows correctly like Plato's um, slaves did, but know Jesus fully. That's what he says. But then the flip meaning is that of that is, but these people who chase the shadows are outside of the church. They're putting laws, rules, judgments, qualifications on you that aren't holding fast to the, but if you really want to grow, you need to be in community. You need to be jointed together with your ligaments and your joints, meaning you're going to have to be in a small group where you're not going to like everybody eventually. <laughs> you're going to have to know each other well so that when the issues in your marriage comes up, I can say, hey, Mike, I've been noticing you and your wife haven't been getting along so much lately. How'd you notice that? Well, last week when I prayed, you kind of kicked her. You know what I mean? I remember I saw that. You know what I mean? And he's not going to have that experience if he and his wife just do their own thing in their own shadows. See the double meaning there? We've got to be in a community where we don't, we take off the mask and say, here I am. I'm letting you see who I am. Because I need the church to sharpen me, to encourage me, to love me, to grow me. Because God only grows us in the church, not on our own mountaintop experiences. Can I get an amen? amen? So we have our mission statement here at Missio Day is Christ. We want to preach Christ. It's all about Jesus. And that's what this passage says. No shadows, all Jesus. Our second is community and then culture, Christ community culture. We want community. We want real community. We want to build a church that is community, a bunch of little community groups, that one, and then eventually we're just one big community who all love and know each other. We started our community group in September of 2011. I mentioned that to you, our leadership team. And because I'm a passionate about church planting, I'm going to talk about this. Um, I read a bunch of books about church planting. I went to a bunch of conferences about church planting. I took seminary classes about church planting, and every one of them said this. Half of your leadership team is going to leave you before you make it out the door, before you, before, you, before you land it, before you land it, you know? just You just need to prepare for that. 
And then I said, team, that's not going to be us. We're going we're gonna to break that statistic. I just want us to spend one year getting to know each other so that I like you. And I want you to like me because the chances are I'm going to make bad choices and then you're going to get mad at me. But if you like me, you're going to think it's okay, right? And one of these days we're going to have money and we're going to buy a piece of property. And I'm going to say, let's, build, let's buy it over here. And you're going to say, no, 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 We need to be over here. And we're going to have this argument and this is how church splits happen. And I'm going to say, hey, if I like you and you like me, we're going to be close enough where we're a knit together body that we love each other. But here's what's interesting. We've been doing this for a year, September, well, I guess one month. <laughs> feels like longer. A year and one month. And I'm just going to be honest. Some of you are sitting in the room. I'm starting to get to know you pretty well. And there's some things about you that annoy me. <laughs> okay? And you're probably getting to know me pretty well. And I know there are things about me that annoy you. And so after time, when you start spending time together, the wrinkles start to come out. You start to come out from the shadows and we start to see how many zits and warts you really do have. And the trick is, is are we still going to love each other? Are we still going to pray for one another? Are we still going to encourage each other? And what I want to explore in the next coming months is how can we say to each other, hey, I noticed something about you. Can we talk about it? Without you being like, well, I know you didn't. Because I know some things about you too. You know what I'm saying? How can we get into this relationship where we really are being vulnerable? We've got to be in a place where we can say, look, I'm not judging you. I do love you, but I don't like the way you treat your kids. Can we talk about that? That's what community is. Now, Paul ends this whole thing with a question. He says, if you have died with Christ, why then, as if you haven't died with Christ, do you still live the way you live in this world, chasing shadows? You need to chase the substance. And that really could be the question that ended Plato's video that we watched. Now, if you've read or want to read, you can Google the allegory of the cave, look it up on the internet. There's other videos too. There's longer ones. I would have showed you the longer one if I thought we had time. Because what really happens after that is that character that went out, as soon as he walks away, he sees, wait a minute, there's the shadow. And his eyes can't really see very clearly because he's not used to looking, not at the wall. And he sees, wait a minute, there's something there. And he gets closer and he sees, oh, there's a camel, there's a butterfly, there's a, there's a baby, there's a child, there's a ballerina. And then he gets dragged outside where, again, he can't see because the sun. Have you seen that commercial? What is that thing? It's blinding me. And they're like, it's the sun, dude. You need to get out more. Um, and then they, they see, he sees the sun. He sees the birds. He hears the children playing. And he's like, whoa, to imagine my whole life was nothing but shadows. Wow, there's so much more. And, he can, and as we've talked here about Colossians, there's more that we don't even know, right? The sun and the moon and the spaces and the, and the, the ocean. I mean, there's stuff we don't even know. But compared to what he knew, which is just shadows, man, he knew so much. But then here's a trick. He goes back and tries to tell his friends, hey, that's just a shadow. His friends are like, what? What's a shadow? Yeah, it's, it's not real. The real thing's behind you. Man, I don't know what happened to you, but you're weird. That's a, that's a weird... We, we, we know what that is. We've been looking at it for our whole life. That's a flingamaflop, right? Bill, Bill, that's a flingamaflop, right? Yep, that's a flingamaflop. No, it's not. It's a camel. Well, it's not a camel. It's a shadow of a camel. The camel's back here. Just look back here. And they're like, man, you're crazy. And Plato says, and the funny thing is, is they had these games amongst themselves. You know, who's the best shadow namer? <laughs> hey, that's a flingamaflop. Bill, Bill, you did it again. You always name him the best. I like flingamaflop. We vote for Bill. You know, that's, that's, a, that's a dingleberry. You know what I mean? That's what we know. What, that's not something. That's not a shadow. What is that? Oh, okay. Sorry. That was, that was a bad joke. Um, 
and they gave rewards and they gave, they gave um, props to the person who understood the shadows the most. But then when he tried to explain to them, look, there's so much more out there. You've got to listen to me. You've got to hear what I'm saying. They're like, man, one thing we've learned is we're never going to leave this place because if we do, we'll be as crazy as you are. You don't even know what a dingo hopper is, you know? That's what I meant to say earlier, by the way. <laughs> and isn't that the way it is in the, in the church, in the community that we are in now? Sometimes we, we pride ourselves in who is best at chasing the shadows. And the people who are really chasing after Jesus, we think they're weird. Well, we're going to close with a time of communion. And then at the end, I have just one more, like one minute thing I want to say about next week. Because I don't want to leave you hanging with this idea that you can go out and eat all the bacon you want. Okay? So uh, let's worship. Now, the way we do things.